This is the one with navel-gazing, self-obsessed Piffle. A consummate renaissance man. The concept of hope. The fruit of a thousand Goldreasy thought shops. The king of Siam. And only one deck chair. Agree? Disagree? It's called An Earthly Child. Here Here we go! Perfectly in sync. (laughs) It's like we never left. Reviewing stuff for Rebels 2. Because we love our Doctor Who. Cultish robots are no more. Posting prison, why not sure? The robot haven, man like Paul. Orbis Phobos, pretty cool. Now and then and here and there. We'll follow Doc 8 everywhere. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Audiobook by audiobook. Even those that are gobbledygook. We'll review them all, you see. So join us on this odyssey. It's who back when? Who back when? What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to yet another absolutely fantabulous episode of Who Back When, the Doctor Who podcast. Oh, Doc Past! <laughs> <laughs> that wonderful voice belongs to none other than Drew Back When himself. Hello, Drew. Hello! But it's not just me who's here. Oh, 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 oh is I'm... it, is it really you? <laughs> oh, is it Leon? Tis I! Leon! Leon, (laughs) Hello, yes! We're coming to you with an audio adventure this time. Well, adventures, maybe. (laughs) Wow. An audio drama. An audio... (laughs) An audio slice of life. (laughs) Namely, an earthly child. (laughs) A026. Not to be confused with unearthly child. Yes, or an unearthly child. That's the one, yeah. (laughs) It's another Eighth Doctor adventure, and it's not the one that follows directly after the last one that we reviewed, but that we were told by an expert we absolutely had to review before the next one. The next one being... Relative Dimensions. That's right. Clues in the title. That's also right. (laughs) And clues in this title, what or which people this audiobook centres around. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the Eighth Doctor's chronology, this adventure slash drama slash slice of life happened after Lucy Miller left in Death in Blackpool, and before Tamsin was recruited in Situation Vacant. That's right. But Big Finish released it after the review we just did. So we're doing it in release order. What? Wait, is that true? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't realise that. So this one dropped in December 2010, and that was quickly followed by the Christmas special, Relative Dimensions, which we'll get to next time. Yes, absolutely. Shall we jump into a bite-sized chunk of Who to summarise what this audiobook is about, and then... Really get into it. Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lurbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. After seven lifetimes of not giving a tinker's cuss, the doctor decides, "Hey, wonder what my granddaughter's up to." Oh, wouldn't you know, she's sending out a distress signal and has been for the last 30 years since the Dalek invasion of Earth, the charred aftermath of which he abandoned her in with a potato farmer and one shoe. Another extraterrestrial intelligence did respond to her call, though, in the form of hope, a sentient concept dispatched by the Goldreasy to provide assistance to mankind, on their terms, of course. Susan Campbell, nay Foreman, has since had a son, Alex, a young Bristolian revolutionary in danger of being led astray by Britain's current roster of 
xenophobes, the Earth Watch. Councillor Faisal Jensen fancies Alex as his new poster boy to front the campaign against filthy alien influences, but little does Alex know that he himself is not wholly of this Earth. Perhaps a family reunion is in order. Miscal over, you are welcome. Aren't you just... <laughs> Right, where do you want to start? I want to start with Susan. Excellent beginning. Because this is the Susan show. This yes, certainly. This whole hour. I know that the post-credits interview is with McGann and McGann Jr., but that it wasn't with Carol Ann Ford is baffling to me. It absolutely is baffling. Carol Ann Ford, who also does the convention circuits, I say also because th- this is something that McGann Sr. mentions in his post-credit interview, and now, well, since then, she's had a, a few other audiobooks as well. Surely, yes, we want to hear from you, Carol Ann Ford. Yeah, I'm sure we'll hear from her next time at the end of Relative Dimensions, mm. but yeah, the spotlight goes on the two McGann's and no, no. We'll we'll get to them later. Yeah, and we have way more pressing things to talk about (laughs) I mean, concerning the post-credits interview as well. Let's put a pin in that. Yeah, yeah. But yes, The Susan Show. I guess my question is I've never met Susan, not having seen Classic Who. Is she the Susan you remember? Well, she's she's all grown up. This is set 30 years later. Yeah, she's she's more mature, obviously, but... Okay, so what's changed? Well, what's changed is that young Susan was, at times, a bit of a liability. <laughs> you don't think older Susan is also a bit of a liability, calling up just anyone and inviting them to Earth and putting it in immediate peril? Actually, I suppose that's a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> But I I think maybe there's less of an emphasis on Susan being a genius in this one. Oh, I did not understand that she was supposed to be a genius at all. So in in the beginning, she certainly was a genius by human standards. I mean, the very be- the very first scene of Doctor Who in 1963 is of Susan in school, and she's she's a little off. There's something not quite normal, not quite something regular, not quite earthly, exactly. Right. But she knows everything about everything. Like she knows more about physics than mankind at 19 in 1963 had discovered. Oh right. So if she had remained that genius, that wouldn't have worked for this story because future Earth post Dalek invasion has regressed technologically. If she still had all that knowledge, she could just bring society right back up again. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. But but that's also something we need to put a pin in. Like, just mankind and what what mankind has been doing for 30 years. I really want to talk about that as well. Right, right. But yeah, sorry, th- this is a long-winded answer, but in answer to your question, I feel like this is a very mature but somewhat toned-down version of Susan because she isn't constantly dropping little, you know, physics notes or okay. what have you. The only hint that we do get is Alex later on saying, oh, well, when, what's his name? David. When David was still around, his dad. Yeah. Um, she would have the craziest stories about how she met those people and those people. She met, was it Genghis Khan? Is that what she says? What he says? I think they used to call her Genghis Khan. Alex and David oh, used to right. call her Genghis Khan because oh, she was. was so formidable. It and turns out, went on the warpath or something. Well, it turns out she met Genghis Khan in a Doctor Who novel. Okay. But she did also meet the Kublai Khan in uh, the episode Marco Polo, when the serial Marco Polo. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Was it in Xanadu in a stately pleasure dome? 
No. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't remember the details. I mean, Kubla Khan had other things going on, but sure. I'm sure. Maybe it was. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, it, it largely follows Marco Polo, that serial. Yeah. But it, yeah, anyway, did I answer that question? I don't know if I did. Well, I, my note was, does this Susan match up with 1960s Susan? My two character traits that I managed to cobble together were vociferous and dogmatic. I can see 1963 Susan growing up to become <laughs> somewhat dogmatic, yes. Right, okay. Yeah, I think so. So it's I mean, not she was just very... retreading. They've put some thought into where would Susan have gotten by this point. Possibly, yeah. I mean, she was very stubborn. She had her set opinions and amplified just by sheer virtue of being one of very few sets of opinions on this planet, it seems. Yeah. And also yeah, being superior happening. to everyone else on the planet in terms of her experience, knowledge, and, I mean... Yeah, but again, she's being... done nothing with that. Yeah. She became a potato farmer. A potato farmer's wife. Yeah. <laughs> he I'll, hoed and she scrubbed. I'll tell you one thing that is not very Susan-like. Okay. And that is that she is incredibly forgiving in this one. Oh, yes. I think I've now listened to this audiobook thrice. Because mm-hmm. at some points in the now distant past, we decided we were going to review this. And I listened to it twice then. And then, I don't know, it didn't happen. And whatever. We were going to review it in Eighth Doctor chronological order. And then we realized, no, actually, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> but which I assume was also Big Finish's problem when they just trying to decide when to release it. Also, yeah, that's that's certainly a consideration, I'm sure. But yeah, in any case, like at, at the time, my recollection of that first or those first two listens was that holy moly, this is an incredible audiobook. I love that we're coming back to this world. We're seeing, you know, Susan. We're meeting Alex for the first time. Dave is not in the picture anymore. Phew. <laughs> and <laughs> what's he going to do? Talk about King Edwards versus Charlotte's and. <laughs> Relative merits. (laughs) Is a potato expert. Yeah, but something that I had completely forgotten is the reunion between Susan and the Doctor that we get to see here. Yep. Why hasn't she constantly, for 30 years, been carrying that one shoe that he left her with on on her belt, like just dangling, so that when she finally is reunited with her granddad, she can beat the living shit out of him with it? (laughs) She's just like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. It's been 30 years. There's no like, you left me. There is one passive aggressive comment, which was, yes, that's two people I've missed. But then Mm. instantly the conversation moves on. The doctor is like, I'm I'm very sorry, but I've, you know, I've been having lots more fun without you. And she's like, yeah, of course you would. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that 30 years to a Gallifreyan is probably not that much. And maybe these 30 years have gone by in, you know, the blink of an eye for her. But one of the first things that she learns about the doctor is that he's let, he's now the eighth incarnation of himself. Yeah. She last saw him in his first incarnation. Um, no. I think she last saw him in his first fifth incarnation because Caroline Ford does get a credit in the five doctors not that I've ever seen it yeah but that can't take place before this audiobook I think okay so she says that she last saw him in the dark tower I think oh oh I missed this pretty sure so maybe that is that multi-doctor adventure but you know what we haven't gotten that far in in the classic who channel of who back when just yet but that would then presuppose that that audiobook oh sorry that serial starts with the doctor going to earth picking up susan going off to have an adventure and then dropping susan off in the shit of earth again yeah (laughs) at the end (laughs) 
Well, I suppose it, maybe there's like a, hey, I have a family over there, so bring him back. Maybe. Yes, possibly. And, you know, he's nothing if not consistent. I mean, she can't say she didn't expect it. Yeah, true. <laughs> just, just double down on, on that, Doctor. Okay, that's that's something. Um, Could you also catch me up a bit on the invasion? Is anything about the invasion pertinent to this audiobook that they don't recap during this adventure? Not really. There are a few references to bits of that serial that we don't get to really see in this audiobook. There's a mention of a slither. Yes. Or they I, say, like, the, the there are no slithers anymore. They're, yeah, that's just a rumour. Yeah. And they didn't pick up on it, and that bugged me. So the, the slither is this really massive, gross monster that the Daleks brought with them. Okay. And it's, it's like it's like having a junkyard dog, but instead of it being a, a, a dog, <laughs> it's the size of a house, and it has tentacles and teeth. Okay. And it's just a lumbering monster that just eats stuff. Sounds a bit like crawl. It's awesome. Oh. No, it, it, it's not like a, it's not a squid monster. Maybe it actually doesn't have tentacles, but it's just like this giant mass and it kills a few people in, we get to see it in, in um, the, the Dalek Invasion of Earth mm-hmm. and in the movie of it as well. Okay. The other one is Roboman. There's a mention of Roboman. Yes. Which are, so the Daleks, they came to Earth, they enslaved mankind, but then they also needed a police force. So in addition to having human slaves, which are just like, they're just humans wearing rags, carrying wicker baskets in order to dig out Earth Core. That's, right, that, one yeah. of whom is Faisal Jensen. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So he's a former Dalek slave, but the Robomen were, they're almost like a precursor to the Cybermen because the Ro- the Daleks put some sort of metal helmet on on humans, on certain humans, brainwashed them, turned them into just automatons, and they are the Robomen. Right, and Kit Peddler thought, you know, I can get some mileage out of this. Possibly, yeah. I mean, you it's know, a different origin story, but it's a, they, actually, the helmet looks quite similar. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure it does. <laughs> okay, I think that's all I need to know about Susan. Uh, I did have another Susan-related question. Uh-huh. Susan versus other companions. Yeah. Because Susan is family, does that make it different? I mean, obviously she calls him grandfather all the time, but th- I get the feeling that in New Who, at least, the-, the Doctor chooses his companions because they show certain qualities. Susan doesn't need to show any of these qualities, but does she show them anyway? I mean, she's like the prototype. Certainly. Susan travelled with two other companions. Babs. Ian and Bob's. Yeah. Oh, Ian and Babs, sorry. Yeah, yeah Barbara. <laughs> Barbara rides and Ian Chesterton. Chesterton! And though they were her teachers, they learned over the course of their, you know, their, their, their run that actually she was the one who could teach them lots of stuff. Aha! But... She was then promptly replaced by another pseudo-granddaughter figure in Vicky. Okay. Vicky No Pants. And then... (laughs) And Vicky was nowhere near as good. But then later on, we actually even have... There's just like this constant stream. There's a conveyor belt of young, ingenious girls yeah who are like roughly the age of the doctor's granddaughter okay and who are all very precocious and all very go-gettery and yeah i I don't know she she was in her own thing in the beginning but as you say she was a prototype clearly that model worked for the bbc and they just recast her effectively yeah i mean and that is a positive thing throughout classic who because starting off as her granddaughter there's no possibility of romantic interest yeah true which New Who, starting with Billy Piper. Yes, I mean, uh, some people don't like it, but it's fine for a while, and then just over and over and over again. It's like, ah, stop it. Yeah, true. Stop it now. Bring back Susan. (laughs) (laughs) 
Susan was great. Yeah. I mean, she would occasionally do something really dumb, and that would then be framed as, oh, she's naive because of her age. Yeah, nobody's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes. It's absolutely. Pains. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But she was, yeah, she was wonderful. I think maybe they've corrected something. So I, I, I was about to say I met Caroline Ford. I did not meet Caroline Ford, but I saw Caroline Ford at the 50th anniversary convention. Right. And she complained. She does this in a lot of interviews. She complained that the, one of the main reasons she wanted to leave the show was that she was always the damsel in distress. I think that also is born out in an adventure in space and time, is it? Or Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Oh, actually, yeah, I forgot about an adventure in space and time. But like, no matter how much intelligence they threw at her they would then always like the the men of the bbc would always write her character arc to be oh well she's stuck somewhere and she needs a man to save her yeah or she's chased by a monster or something and in this one she's a problem solver she's the one who runs headfirst into danger and rescues her son and so on yeah that's true mm. i mean i i don't get the feeling she's massively effective all the same no <laughs> She's True. always turning up somewhere too late and some man, usually Faisal Jensen, is one step ahead of her a lot of the time. But yeah, she's not so obviously defective and needing a man to step in and save her. So I guess. did you feel that Faisal Jensen was really fleshed out as a character? It was only on the second listening I realised that he is to some degree. Okay. He, he is for all the xenophobia, for all the um, unpleasant source of his suspicions, he is correct about hope and about yeah, hope and the Goldrisi's intentions for the Earth. So he isn't one-dimensional in the sense that he's bad from start to finish and you can just write him off as, as being wrong and, and someone to reject in terms of their morality and their views and everything. You know, bad people are right sometimes. So that was a, a nuance of sorts. Yeah, that's true. What do you think? I thought he was a little archetypal, maybe. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he's sort of... <laughs> he's Nigel Farage. A bit, except Nigel Farage is a publicity whore all by himself. Nigel Farage doesn't want to post a child. Nigel Farage... That's wants... that's a good point, yeah. This guy wants to be... He's Richelieu. But... Yeah, he wants to be but, the nefarious political worse. mastermind <laughs> behind the scenes. The, the eminence grise. Yes, exactly, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> While we mentioned Babs and Ian, there is something else in relation to Susan and Carol Ann Ford. Big Finish have just released a four-part special called Susan's War. <gasps> okay. With McGann, where Susan is called up for the Time War. Like, all the Time Lords across space and time are being recruited. Stands to reason at some point, Susan's going to get involved. Oh my goodness, okay. And appearing in that, with her and McGann, is William Russell... Oh my goodness, Chatterton! Yep, who is 96 at this point. What an utter ledge. What a guy. Last seen as Harry the security guard in an adventure in space and time. Yep. And yeah, Ian and Susan have done a bunch more Big Finish adventures and they're still releasing them. (laughs) Today! Like, as of June the 30th, it's going to stop being a website-only release and you can buy it. Like, it's it couldn't be more current. Oh, I, I, I want to listen to those. Mm. I absolutely want to listen to those. How many EDAs do we have left, by the way? In Series 4, 3 or 4. It's not many. That's true. So we could branch out into other We audios. could. I mean, they yeah. have released a Season 5, I think, or at least there was talk of a, a Season Further Adventures five. of Lucy Miller. Yeah. Let's, let's branch out. I feel like Susan <laughs> deserves a shot at this. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Bring back Chatterton. Oh, please, yes. 96, did you say? Yes. What a man. Born in 1923. A Second World War veteran, no less. Of course he is. (laughs) I I won't say how old Caroline Ford is to spare her blushes, but... 
It turns out that she's 44 years older than me to the very day we share a birthday. Really? Yeah. Oh, that leads me to say a belated happy birthday to you, Caroline Ford. Yeah. Happy hint, birthday. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention that Dan Starkey is also involved in Susan's War. Oh, I mean, you had me a Chatterton, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, I'll take Dan Starkey. <laughs> yes, sold. He's not Strax, is he? Uh, no, he's a couple of other characters. Okay, cool. He's, he's not uh, an elf either. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Brian the Elf, or whatever his name is. <laughs> How about we talk Alex briefly? Yes, for we must. Maybe start with a character, end with the performance. Of Jake McGann. That's right. Yes. Of Nepotism Incorporated. Yep. Yep. Which um, we thought prior to this review would be perhaps the better case of nepotism after Jake's mate had a part in the last <laughs> audio, which we roundly condemned. We did, yes. Oh my yeah, goodness. The terrible captain. and the, He was uh, terrible. And the awful tourist at the beginning. The hippie tourist or whatever he was, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so Alex, Alex Campbell, how do you feel about him as a character? I mean... And his actions and so on. He is present in various places. He can talk to other characters. Um, I really am struggling to think of any sort of depth to him. I mean, there is depth insofar as he is a student in Bristol and he has fallen in with a bad crowd and people are trying to influence him and he's processing these influences and sometimes going along with it, sometimes sticking up for his mum. Yes, he is caught between two horns of a dilemma. Um, Does he go off with these new influences or does he stick up for his mum even when he doesn't believe his mum is right? Yeah, he he has some thinking to do. Um, He shows a little bit of integrity towards the end. Yeah, yeah, he does. And he's willing to do an unpleasant thing in defence of his mum when Hope grabs Susan at the end. Yeah. Rather brought to mind Clara in the graveyard. Um, But maybe we'll put a pin in that as well. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. I don't really know what to say about Alex. What what do you want to say about Alex? I feel like he's just a MacGuffin. There's the hint of an arc to this character. Yeah. And possibly he will return. I'm not sure. He he returns in relative dimensions. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm, I, I don't remember if I've even listened to it, but probably not. But aside from that, his character is jumping from emotional and moral <laughs> stepping stone to the next way too abruptly. Like, there's not much development between those steps, I feel. And he's largely there as a MacGuffin for Susan to embark on a helicopter journey or for the Doctor to have a reunion scene or for anyone to point a gun at him. I don't know. I I wasn't... I look forward to being more impressed by this character the next time around. Yeah. I don't feel like there was that much to this character in this one. Yeah, he was someone whose stuff happened to. Yeah, exactly. Where, Rather I mean, than an agent. Yeah, and Katie, that's it. It's the agency thing. Katie, not Katie, um, Holly. Holly, his friend, basically his recruiter in Earthwatch, yeah. is almost entirely one-dimensional. But she is showing agency in doing what Faisal wants and bringing Alex to London and enabling the poster boy sequence. So, yeah, that's it. There's there's nothing to get behind with Alex or against. He's just there at certain points. He, he is a plot point. Yeah. Like, he's, he's nothing else. He is a plot point that speaks. Yeah. I mean, everything that he does is, in fact, an action of either Holly's or Faisal's or Susan's. Yeah. Actually, sorry, I'm just paraphrasing what you just said. No, no, but yeah, it, yeah. It's worth saying because it, it is hard to get your head around how sort of little there is to Alex. And, and that's weird because he is the son of Paul McGann. And you would think that 
We're going to write a meaty role for this, kids. The exact word I was going to use. Paul McGann gets the script and he's like, well, I mean, this is my boy. This is his induction into the world of... Into the craft. Yeah, following in my footsteps. Man and boy. Yeah, we're going to Baldwin this situation. Yeah. This is the start (laughs) of a dynasty. (laughs) And you haven't given him nearly enough. We need to put some flesh on these bones. Give him a monologue. Give him a soliloquy. (laughs) But no... No. I'm going to look him up on IMDb. Has he done anything? I have looked him up on IMDb. Oh, here we go. All right. My IMDb page has more on it than his. Okay. If you look at his IMDb page, it just has his name. There are no projects. It's weird. There are no lists of any kind. No actor, producer, director, whatever, you know, the usual lists you get. No self. None of that even. It just says Jake McGann. It's like a placeholder page. That's very strange. And then I looked him up on Wikipedia. Okay. And it goes so far as to say Jake McGann is a voice actor who did voice acting work in the Eighth Doctor Adventures that he's already been in because he had yeah. very small parts in Immortal Beloved and Phobos. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. He, in, he, in Immortal Beloved, he played Ganymede, which I guess was a small part. And in Phobos, he just played Lad. <laughs> <laughs> like at some point, there was a lad who didn't even have a name. And that was Jake McGann. That was, that was first... Um, Fine. Take your son to work day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> couldn't get a sitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he appears in this, and he appears in Relative Dimensions, and maybe the one or two or three after that. And then that's it. That's the end of the Wikipedia page. I expected to see that, because he isn't on IMDb, that perhaps he'd gone into theatre and was following his dad in productions around the country. Or perhaps he'd branched off by himself. But no, this is the beginning and end of Jake McGann's so-called voice actor. I assume that he, maybe he felt some pressure to attempt from society and possibly even from his dad. Yeah. But I'm assuming that he's probably very accomplished in whatever other trade he went into. Oh, absolutely. We know nothing about him outside of his voice acting chops. Yeah. Or lack thereof. Yeah. All right, so let's (laughs) talk about the performance then, shall we? Well, I was going to say, it's good he didn't go into acting because he's terrible. He says... (laughs) Every single line the same way. He says, yep. look, I've got a leaflet. I can see all of Bristol. Run, Holly, run. My dad, yeah, he was great. <laughs> ah, get off me. The only change, the only change in tone throughout the entire hour yeah. is when he says, that's him. When his dad is grabbed by Jensen's posse in London, when he's brought the alien to be captured. And at that moment, I was like, oh, wow, that stands out. And because he's so robotic. Is that the, rest the thing? Of the time, Has he spent like an hour lowering the bar in order to wow you with that one line delivery? Maybe. He's playing the long game. <laughs> I mean, it, that, that is some high level mindfuckery, if so. But no. But don't let me bogard the mic. What did you think, dear chap? Oh, I agree. I, I'm, I wasn't particularly impressed by his acting chops, nor, while we're on the subject, by Holly's, or whoever played Holly. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already said his character doesn't get to do that much, so consequently he also doesn't get much of an opportunity to flex his acting muscles, or <laughs> what well, would be. I, I don't know. Well, he did not wow me. But more than anything, the post-credit interview yeah. made me want to just not buy that guy a drink if I ever bump into him. <laughs> right. Uh, Even a commiseratory <laughs> one. <laughs> no. You know what? Actually, I take it back. I would. But it would come with some form of emotional burden, I feel. like I, I, I don't want to laud him for this performance, but I, I would like to let him know that I'm buying him a drink despite this performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
on, purely on principle yeah. of your own upstanding moral virtues. Yeah, this might be the closest thing I ever get to buying Paul McGann a drink, okay? So just take it. Take yeah. it, Jake. In fact, take it to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know where he lives. You deserve nothing. <laughs> no, I mean, we're, we're, this is a little mean, perhaps. The yeah, guy, I mean, he was, he was 17 at the time. Yeah, exactly. He's a kid. He's fine. He's not an actor. I'm not an actor. He probably did just as good a job as I could have done. Well, no, you know what? I take it back. No, I could have done a better job. No, I'm, I don't want to say that. I feel like you have done a better job. But <laughs> sure, 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 sure. He was 17. He was inducted by his dad, who is a legend in this field. Yeah. And... Playing opposite his incredibly accomplished dad, I mean, that's going to bring some pressure. Yeah, but I feel like that would only be a positive, surely. Well, I mean, it depends entirely on what type of person Jake McGann is. It might also actually depend on what kind of person his dad is. Yeah, I mean, his dad seems pretty pushy. I mean, who's who's the nepotistic force behind all of this? It's not Jake McGann. No, but we have had Jake's buddy as well. Yeah. So that's Jake calling in a favour, isn't it? It could be, it could be. Right. Hey, Dad, I did the dishes yesterday, okay? (laughs) (laughs) My buddy Timmy, I can't remember his name. My buddy Timmy really uh, wants to get into the acting biz. (laughs) You're the... And he can do a great American accent, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Top notch, best I've ever heard. Best in all of Bristol. (laughs) (laughs) I've never met an American myself, but... (laughs) One assumes... Yeah, so I don't necessarily want to judge him just yet. I'm going to judge his performance in total next time. Yeah. But, yeah. While we're touching on the subject of the post-credit interview, oh. I was just shocked by the ignorance of both of them. Of both of them, about yeah. About Doctor Who's history. Jake admitted that he doesn't really follow Doctor Who. And then Paul McGann, on mic, learns live that Carol Ann Ford is the original Susan. And also learns live on mic. This is after they've recorded this episode, by the way. He also learns that, oh, wait, hang on. So the doctor had a granddaughter from the (laughs) get-go? Yeah. But you've played this. You played the doctor in the film you you've played him on in countless eighth doctor adventures for big finish did you never just look him up on wikipedia never mind watch every single second of available footage now he, he thought that he was making a completely new show because he was he was half human the master was out of highlander too nothing <laughs> you know bore any resemblance to the rich and storied history but surely he must know that the movie is not perfectly synchronous with canon. Apparently not. Apparently he's just turning up and doing his job, going home again. This is the point of disillusionment that I've alluded to in prior Audio Who reviews on Who Back When. Talking about a post-credit interview that you've heard. Exactly. Just knowing that Paul McGann, who is such a marvellous chap and such a brilliant actor and whom we have listened to and loved as the Doctor and whom you have seen stride across a railway station like no other man alive. I have never seen anyone have a more imposing and heroic gait. This man <laughs> deserves statues made in his likeness. This this man is incredible. Yeah, we've With got some and I, for goodness, He's spare. Marwood. He is Marwood. But he doesn't know just the most fundamental facts about the character that he's portraying? What? Yeah. I mean, That's absurd. You can forgive him skimming over Colin Baker, perhaps, but... How dare you? No insult on Colin Baker. Fan, Colin Baker. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. They, yeah. He, they were troubled years. But, <laughs> they were. But do your basic research. <laughs> 
Yes, please. But it also, I mean, I find he it... He probably mind- thinks that the Doctor Who's first name is Doctor. <laughs> or his surname certainly is Who. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I believe Nick pointed out, Hugh Who. Uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. Imagine what it's like when Paul McGann climbs into the, the you know, the audio booth. Actually, this is pre-audio booth. He walks into the Big Finish studio. He steps out of his McGann-mobile, or the train that stopped <laughs> for him, because it's <laughs> seen him striding towards... The McGann Mobile, by the way, I'm picturing, I mean, first off, it's definitely hovering. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And secondly, it has just this magnificent dome, this glass dome. Mm -hmm. It's like the Pope Mobile, but it's shaped like McGann. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He's riding around in a gigantic version of his head that floats on a cushion of air. (laughs) Anyway, he walks into the big Finnish studios and then like, yeah, and he's like, "Hey, so I hear you got a new script for me." Yeah, here it is. It's you, it's your granddaughter Susan, you're going back to Earth this time and you're going to have this reunion. Okay, cool. I'm not going to question any of this. I'm not going to go, "Wait, granddaughter?" I'm not going to go, "Wait, back to Earth?" Wait, w- there was a Dalek invasion. This presupposes, by the way, that he has never heard of the Dalek invasion of Earth. Possibly. He, it doesn't say that he is ignorant of that specifically. Okay, that's true. That's true. But there must have been a point where... I mean, he now finds out that... No, it's just really weird to me that he now, after he has recorded this episode, after it has been produced, after he has read scripts, had conversations with everyone at Big Finish who who are like, you know, they're pitching the script to him. Only afterwards does he realize or does he learn that, oh, he had a granddaughter from the get go. The emotional wrench that this is putting you through. One of your heroes has not lived up to your expectations. Yeah, this is a little bit like when, as a 20-something, I found out that Sean Connery was a massive chauvinist douchebag. Oh, wife beat, yeah. Yeah. My dad has always hated Sean Connery for that. Points to my dad. Yeah, points to your dad. Sean Connery, to me, was James Bond mm. up until the point where he turned into Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, no. Ugh. Yeah. It's like, what's next? Am I going to find out that Joseph Heller was a... Well, I mean, we have nothing to allege, so no, should, that's we just, true. should we just leave him unspoiled? Yeah, what's let's next? Do that. Are we going to find that Jeffrey Boycott was also a wife beat? Oh, wait. <laughs> Okay, stop laughing. All right. Yep. <laughs> right. Right. How Where about do we ma- go from there? <laughs> how, how about we return to a, that pin about mankind and what has happened in the past 30 years? Yes. Because what has happened in the past 30 years? Well, the Daleks destroyed the technology to get to the moon or something, and then the Earth Watch destroyed the last rocket. Yeah. So there's no way of leaving the planet anymore. Yeah. Someone, possibly the Daleks, destroyed every single Morse code manual. Yes. How come no one knows Morse code? I mean, that is weird because if you've got a bunch of people sitting around with nothing to do, I mean, you could start a new Bletchley Park, couldn't you? You could have code breakers. Yes. It's not necessarily education that fits people out, that suits people for this line of work. Brains are just naturally attuned to decoding information. So, of course someone would have figured it out by now and put it into English. But on top of that, what, like, can we not build a transistor radio? Can we not... They have helicopters. They do. It's not like they've turned into a it's not Mad Max. Even Mad Max has cars. 
Yeah. But it hasn't turned into... They're not cavemen. They are mankind. They just don't have rockets. But somehow they can't fashion just radios. Yeah, you know what it is? It's like a weird version of 1963 without radios. Or, or at least radios that can communicate to them. Because they have television. That's right. Yeah, you're right. So how do they not have radios? Okay, that's weird. They don't have computers, it would seem, because Marion Fleming is tapping away on a typewriter. Oh, I missed that. Bristol Electra job, yeah. Okay. When the when the doctor walks in and she's like, "Oh, you're new, are you?" and she's going, she's tap tap tapping away. So there's no internet, there's there's no computers, but yeah, there's definitely a way to communicate with the moon. Surely, absolutely. I mean, did did the Daleks just kill everyone who had some kind of rudimentary engineering degree or something like that? Yeah, and also, what year are we talking? What year does the invasion take place in? Oh, that's a very good question because I think the years differ between the TV show and the movie. The movie is twenty one fifty, right? Yeah, that's in the title. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna find out. I'm heading over to twenty one fifty. AD. That's right, yes. <laughs> Heading over to TARDIS Wikia. Uh, yes. So, the movie, 2150 AD, the TV show, 2164. Oh, wow. So, same ballpark. Yeah. Late 22nd century. I mean, that's a lot of infrastructure that the Daleks have managed to eradicate. That's true. But, so, 2164 was not portrayed in the most futuristic way in 1963. It was portrayed very much as the rubbles of 1963. Granted, right. Uh, People didn't have technology in in 2164 the way that they later on in classic who imagined the 22nd century to look it was just yeah it's just it basically it's post-war it's london blitz is what it looks like yeah it's the places they still haven't managed to get around to redeveloping which are nice cheap locations to shoot (laughs) possibly yeah (laughs) but it, it it still it seems very strange to me that mankind has just settled for this like yeah fine so the daleks reset the technology clock we're not gonna set it a ticking again well there are opposing forces at work i mean i get why if you keep mankind in a retarded technological state they are in some ways easier to control that's true but the daleks aren't there anymore no but but the earth watch has taken their place and at one point faisal jensen even says ah well what the aliens don't do we'll manage to do to ourselves oh Okay. Because they're talking about burning Oxford and Bristol. Yeah. Places of learning. True. And he, he seems to be entirely anti-technology, anti-intellectual, anti-learning, anti-everything that elevates mankind above just animalistic competition and division. Yeah, I still don't buy it, though. I mean, you have to suspend your disbelief a bit, but that goes some way to enabling that. Sure, but Earthwatch doesn't seem... I mean, Earthwatch doesn't run the world. No, that was actually something I meant to mention. Um, it's a very British-centric oh, yes. vision of who is running the world 30 years after this, that the president and the entire council are in London, it would seem. But I think that's just a a consequence of technology having been subtracted from the scenario. It's very possible that a very similar situation is happening in other countries, and we just never find out. And they never find out because they are technologically incapable of learning what goes on overseas. Possibly, but they still have television. So that's true. They they, should have taken out the television. 
Exactly. Yeah, they shouldn't have had the television, and the helicopter makes no sense. Yeah. Because that then presupposes that you can travel. Just, I mean, they just have to travel across the channel. They just have to walk the tunnel that didn't exist at the time of devising London in 2164. But, like, I mean, they just have to take the helicopter across the channel, and then all of a sudden we get to see what's happening in France. Yeah. Well, for they, example, they daren't take the helicopter across the channel because savages with clubs wearing loincloths are going to storm <laughs> the, the runners. Is, and There's an actual mention of people living in caves. Yes, there are. Yes, there is. So, it's, actually, I, I take back what I said before. Some people have regressed to some sort of caveman state. Yeah, because there's so much distrust and fear that society has just atomized, hasn't it? And so, presumably, people who fear that the war is still going on. Yeah, or that people, there are aliens among us in disguise, and they or they could come back at any minute. Yeah, also like, Some people haven't set foot in a city since they fled to the country in 2150-64. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oof, maloof. This is some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I. they had a very difficult tightrope to walk, and perhaps impossible to get completely right you have to be slightly selective in what you leave to enable a story to occur and enable travel and communication so yeah i'm prepared to forgive them all that i I think i probably am as well i think there are a few i don't know if i'd go so far as to call them plot holes Mm -hmm. there are maybe a few parts of society left unexplored but overall what this serial really this this episode sorry this audiobook it's actually just one thing it's not even a two-part or anything it's like one audiobook yeah what it has going for it is world building and atmosphere and atmosphere yes absolutely Mm. and i thought that was a bit ham-fisted at first because the very first things you hear after the theme tune fades away is some low synth strings going (laughs) 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 then susan starts to talk and says oh something awful is happening and (laughs) duncan comes on with his ridiculous voice Yes, Miss Susan. <laughs> it's a really weird chain of events. <laughs> <laughs> There is one point where he says, this is private property. (laughs) Where is he from or what is he doing? So, yeah, at first I thought that was a bit clumsy and a bit blunt. But over the hour, I thought it really worked. I agree. I also, oh, can I, sorry. This is my final point in my bogarding monologue. I loved the crowd scenes in this hour yes because wherever there was a big crowd whether it was the presidential council whether it was a bunch of journalists gathered outside susan's house whether it was the students protesting outside bristol university there were so many voices left and right it was super well done also when when faisal is introducing the new poster boy yeah close background deep background everyone is saying something different there are whole conversations going on all around you yeah really impressive i hadn't heard that before in a big finished production i haven't reviewed that many but it this seems so much more effortful let's make a mental note to just record a whole bunch of background voices the next time we do something as well yeah just burbling in and out we'll robert altman <laughs> the shit out of it <laughs> Oh, just to say, Faisal Jensen, um, I don't have many notes on him. He's played by Matt Addis. He's been in a bunch of big Finnish productions with Davison, Colin Baker, and McCoy as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's basically on staff. Yeah, it's a a small club, isn't it? Yeah. How do you feel about Hope? I thought she was very good. Agree? Disagree? (laughs) 
agree. <laughs> ah, good. <laughs> yeah, I really liked her. I, I, I thought the idea of a sentient concept was very cool as well. Yeah, very sci-fi, that. Very sci-fi. It took me a while to figure out how I felt about it and what they meant and so on. But actually, yeah, it's it's really clever. The gold is you just go, all right, we have an AI. How are we going to tell it to infiltrate? Like, give it some sort of keyword. Oh, hope. Boom. Done. Actually, yeah. that works splendidly. Out of the box. Yep. 10 hope, 20 end. That's the extent of the programming. <laughs> Very basic. There are some cool things that Hope can do as well that aren't necessarily explored much. Hope does so many different things that you get a sense of this very, almost omnipotent presence, certainly by comparison, on Earth. Telekinetic can shove Marion, that's her name, Marion into some sort of inception land. Some inception abyss. Yes, exactly. Equipped with a beach as well. Paul McGann wakes up next to Leo DiCaprio. (laughs) I rewatched Inception the other day. Oh, Still I thought you were going to say you rewatched The Beach. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hang on. Let's recut that trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, very cool. It, and inhabit, and also has like a tractor beam, can teleport, has it, it just is. Yeah, yeah, can stop the TARDIS from escaping. Yes, exactly. Were you fearful for the TARDIS? I was. At that point, yeah, me too. There was a moment of true tension in this audiobook when the Doctor is suddenly separated from his TARDIS and we then, we don't cut to, but a scene or two later, we get to see almost like a scientific dissection of the TARDIS by Hope, who's chuckling at the, oh, you're another concept as well, are you? Your interior cannot be bigger than your exterior. (laughs) It's it's so creepy. And the fact that you can't see this dissection I just know. multiplies the tension by order of magnitude. Absolutely. Very really well done. Good. Yeah. I mean, it's worth thinking when we get around to writing this second audio, but what is scarier when you can't see it? What are the scariest blanks that your mind will fill in for you? Abs- yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to find out what the name of the actress is. Leslie Ash. Leslie Ash. What else has she done? She was Debs in Men Behaving Badly. Not seen it. She was in Quadrophenia as a very young girl. 18. But, Not seen you know, it. Um, she had an illness. She got a variant of MRSA, which set her back. It, like, knocked her career on the head for a while. Th- oh, my this, goodness. This came after she'd sort of recovered from that, but she had to relearn how to walk. Like, she... Oh, she, goodness. It was like coronavirus before coronavirus. It was serious. So, yeah, she doesn't have the career she once might have done or hoped for, um, but she was a big name in the 90s, early 2000s, certainly. She was all over the newspapers. Um, I thought she did a really good job i agree yes <laughs> definitely so leslie ash's thing at the moment or at least in the interview she gave to the guardian last year which i read was that she's set up this website called booksoffice.com oh. and basically you submit your book or your scripts or whatever to it people can read it and it's an idea to try to get tv productions out of it or something you know bring it to the attention of people who are looking for stuff to adapt option. for for television yeah or adapt in some way for okay. things so yeah so are these, that's what she's doing at the moment these aren't published books then these are manuscripts stuck in drawers uh, yeah i mean you can upload anything for free apparently and Interesting. yeah maybe someone will spot it okay someone who you want to spot it i don't know yeah so that's, that's what, very that's cool what she's trying now what was it called again booksoffice.com all right (laughs) (laughs) slightly weird name but check it out fine 
Very cool. I will check it out. So yeah, she plays two characters here. Two completely different characters. Yes, that's true. She's Marion as well, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Marion Fleming, the lecturer. And Marion is passable, if not good, at the very least. And Hope is superlatively creepy. So yeah. 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 Thumbs up for Leslie Ash. Two thumbs up. If I had a third arm and at the end of it were a hand equipped with a thumb, there'd be three thumbs up for Leslie Ash. Okay, well, we've talked about the Doctor and Susan reunion. Yes. But we haven't really talked about the Doctor and Alex union. That's right. How do you feel about it? How how is is it realistic, for lack of a better word? Is it in character? Is it in keeping with the Doctor's character? Well, there are sort of two segments to it, aren't there? There is the first encounter. Well, actually, there are quite a few segments to it. The two big ones are when he's stuck in the cell with him, the police cell, halfway through. Yeah. And that really just recaps the encounters they've had to date, which is the Doctor rocking up, saying weird things, just being unable to stop himself running his mouth on, on such subjects as, oh, you're standing on the Clifton Suspension Bridge. Ah, oh, you know, I was here when a... Uh, Fatty Brunel, you know, drew up the blueprints and he had an Egyptian idea, but uh, I, I was there for that whole century and there were balloons everywhere and he's just going off on one while they're get staring at him. They are right to call him weird. I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah, that is not an unreasonable reaction on their part. Um, so that is the sort of the first half. I mean, being told that someone who's maybe, how old how old would you say McGann is, looks as the eighth doctor, middle-aged, 40s? Yeah, 40s. Yeah, and this kid is... You're welcome, McGann. Yeah, and this kid's coming up 20. I mean, I mean, in real life, in real life, McGann is this kid's father. So to posit another two generations in there is, is yeah, is going to make someone react weirdly. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Do you think it was particularly stilted beyond Alex is slash Jake's acting limitations i felt something was missing there just like we already discussed something was missing from the reunion with susan right there's a pre-meeting scene where the doctor is talking to marion about alex yes and asks oh so what are his proclivities does Hmm. he have an inclination towards science and yada 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 that's that's not even me trying to be mcgann by the way but i mean he asks all these questions he has lots of assumptions expectations of his great-grandson Yeah, has he fallen in with a good crowd? Is he popular? Yes, exactly. Is he a fop? Is he a gentleman? (laughs) (laughs) Is he a dandy? (laughs) Does he have floppy hair? Does he have a penchant for velvet? Yeah, and waistcoats. (laughs) (laughs) Waistcoats, please. (laughs) And it seems as though that pre-meeting scene is laden with more energy and verve than their actual meeting. Yep. And, And for that reason, I feel like something is missing there. And also, by the same token, from Alex's point of view, when Alex finds out, I mean, this is sort of jumping to the end, but when when Alex finds out his you know his lineage his heritage his ethnicity etc etc yeah his genetics genetics that's a better word for it you're right he's a little nonplussed alex is nonplussed yes yeah i mean he's written to be well he's been sort of indoctrinated to think of off-worlders as filthy aliens so there's that hurdle to overcome yeah but we don't really get to experience we don't get to feel alongside alex what it what it's like to cross that threshold from everything that i have lived and learned for as long as i can re- 
call has been a lie. And in fact, I am at least 50% of me, half of my chromosomes embody that one thing that I have been conditioned to detest. Yeah. This is something that hopefully will be worked out in relative dimensions. And if it isn't, it probably should be held against that episode, you know, be to that episode's detriment, because that's set at Christmas. And at Christmas, you bring up all the resentments of the previous year that have been bubbling away. And (laughs) half of the people just want to sit down and have one nice family meal, and the other half have got a laundry list (laughs) that they are just waiting. Waiting. To unleash. Yeah. One stodgy <laughs> potato, and it's like all oh, fucking year XYZ. <laughs> all fucking year you've been lying to me about being an earthling all my entire life. No wonder you can't cook roasts. <laughs> you didn't even have these on your planet. And my dad was a potato farmer. I wish he'd lived and you died. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> Were you a little shocked that he runs out of the TARDIS? Not really. No? Because the TARDIS in itself is overwhelming. People have run out of that and Mm. gone for a look, you know, just without the whole family ties. You say that, but we have had the bigger on the inside scene countless times on Doctor Who. Yeah. Surely this must be one of the, if not the, most underwhelming bigger on the inside moments. Yes, especially considering... He grew up in a world of just typewriters and helicopters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the occasional TV camera. Yeah. Yeah, and caves. Um, Yes, I, I I mean, I'm thinking that perhaps dumbfounded just isn't in this kid's range. Also, dumbfounded is quite a hard thing to play in an audiobook. True. That's true. But there are no lines. I mean, he never goes, how is this possible? It's bigger on the inside, yada, yada, yada. They cut straight to the chase. Yeah. They keep the scene entirely going after its singular objective of having him run right back out again. Yeah, you're right. They shortcut. Yeah. I was a little disappointed by that. Yeah. But maybe between this audiobook and Relative Dimensions, there's a realization and perhaps some sort of a moment of disappointment in himself, you know, regrets on his part that, holy moly, wait, why didn't I stay? That that was, that's my only chance of finding out who I am and learning more about the universe. Yeah. Why didn't I take that chance? Yeah, I mean, this is essentially a setup episode, right? Yeah. Oh, 100%. So it could evolve from here excellently i mean there's there's li- going to be limited room next time because you got to have a proper peril yeah and lucy miller's going to be there and mcgann and susan and alex uh, alex could very easily just be shuffled to the side when, when there are all these really profound issues that they could be exploring yeah it, a lot hinges on next time and whether he relaxes into a more rounded and believable persona yeah well not believable he's perfectly believable he's just wafathine Yeah, that's the thing. (laughs) Two more points about Doc and Alex, or Alex to begin with. Has no one ever checked his pulse? He's got one heart. He has two hearts. No, Susan says he's got one heart on his father's side. Yeah, I took that to mean and one other heart on his mother's. Oh, and that would be why he would be allowed to go to Gallifrey and study there, because as we all know, Gallifrey is equally xenophobic. Racist, yeah, (laughs) possibly. 
but maybe I misunderstood that. I I interpret that to mean yeah, he's he has two hearts. He's large, biologically largely Gallifreyan. But okay, yeah, fine. So there's that point. Another point. The doctor says to him, I think this is when they're in the cell together. I set your parents up. Right? Did he? I mean, that's really selling. <laughs> <laughs> that I, that's false marketing. Th- yeah. That, that is. We get to know. Okay, so this is the do- uh, the Dalek invasion of Earth. Yeah. I, I want to say it's six episodes. Six times 20 minutes, right? Okay. Dave is in it for... Well, he's in much of it, but the whole thing takes place over, let's call it 24 hours. Oh, wow. Okay. I think so. Uh, maybe I need to rewatch it. Actually, you know what? It's a great serial, and the film with Peter Cushing, also great. A hundred percent will I rewatch this. Yeah. Probably soon, because it's like you can happily dip in and out of it. It's great. But within 24 hours, the doctor's already gone. I mean, he's mulling over in the back of his head. Oh, well, Caroline Ford wants to leave the show. <laughs> 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 this Dave guy, I mean... Who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she could do worse. He grows staples. He's good enough. Yep. Yeah. And then he... When's j- the next blight due? Uh, yeah, she'll have a good life. He just abandons her. Yeah. He straight up abandons her. At the end of the Dalek invasion of Earth, he has a lovely monologue. Like, a, just a beautiful... One of those, like, famous Hartnell I, I know it. It was in An Adventure in Space and Time, wasn't it? Yes, it was, it, yeah. Yes, and you I go will, and live your beliefs. And... I will be back one day. I will come back. Yeah. And... <laughs> She is outside, just really sad to not even be able to look her single relative in the eye when she says goodbye to him. Yeah. She's just looking at the TARDIS and he's speaking through a speaker. He abandons her. Yeah. There's no way of sugarcoating it. That's not setting her up with Dave. For all he knows, <laughs> I see, I see. he's leaving. He has taken her shoe, by the way, like a fucking crazy person. He has taken her shoe. He dematerializes. For all he knows... Is, is, is that so she can't chase him <laughs> through the time vortex? <laughs> through the time vortex. Hop through the time vortex. <laughs> madness. <laughs> He dematerializes. For all he knows, Dave's going to come up and go like, Hi, what you doing? Dave X Machina, you mean? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what you doing after this? And she's very likely just going to go, Sod off. Like, I just (laughs) met you. I now have to make a life in this place. And then she'll go off and meet someone else. No, he's like, do you need a shoe? And she's like, oh, you get me. I carved a a shoe out of this potato. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little clammy, but it'll get you where you need to go. So th- that was that. But actually, you know what? This this leads me to something else that I didn't necessarily think you're talking about. But Susan also sees the TARDIS for the first time yep. in 30 years. Yep, and it's yep. a different TARDIS. Not from the outside, but not from, from the, outside, the inside. But on the inside, yeah. yeah. It's like the... It's similar to... Who is it that has the line in New Who of... Um, oh, the you changed the desktop background. I can't remember, sorry. But, oh, I can't remember that. I, it sounds like a Moffaty line, though. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, who, whatever. Yeah. That also was underwhelming to me. Mm. Why is she not running around like crazy? Why isn't the TARDIS reacting to Susan being back? Yeah. Why isn't the TARDIS suddenly humming and making noises and, you know, chitty chitty bang bang? Like, just have that moment be more laden with oomph. Yeah, that moment of telepathic reconnection. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Parts of her brain being awakened that had been dormant for 30 years. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what? I think that while this is the Susan show and Caroline Ford on the whole does a perfectly serviceable job, there are limitations to my praise of her. Like, there are certain lines when they're in the, um, 
helicopter. I don't know whether she's speaking clearly so that she can be heard in a helicopter over the rotors. Perhaps that's a charitable interpretation, but she's saying, Oh, grandfather, I wasn't wrong. And then, you heard me too? Out there? (laughs) And it's like, oh, please, have you just walked off a stage? I mean, like... It's so hammy. I'm happy with it. Yeah, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. So bear in mind, this is now a, an audiobook recorded in 2010. Yes. But it's using characters that were devised and last seen in 1963. And the form of acting that the BBC produced in 1963 was not what it is doing today or 10 years ago in 2010. Yeah, yeah. It's true. far more theatrical. No, you're absolutely was. right. You're absolutely right. It was practically like, uh, what's it called? Like neighborhood theater? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, anyway, yeah. Sunday so, night at the Playhouse. There you go, yeah. So it, it, it feels congruous with that level or that genre of acting. Mm. Oh. Okay. Yeah. You're winning me over. Caroline Ford, if you're listening, and I sincerely hope that you are, then please come on the show and talk to us because we adore you and we want to hear everything you have to say about anything to do with this lovely, lovely show. With acting like yours, how can we fail? <laughs> Agree. Disagree. (laughs) That segues me into Hope's snark. Ooh. Did you you spot this? There's a moment where where Hope laughs. Is that what you mean? There's a moment where Hope laughs. There's a point where um, she's saying, how many Time Lords are there on this planet? How many of your kind? Are Are there enough for an invasion force, a scouting party, whatever? And McGann says... More than you can count. And then yeah. Hope replies, come here and say that. <laughs> it's like, I did not expect <laughs> fighting talk from Hope. Like, there are a couple of curveballs that really... That is wonderful. You. That's yeah. genuinely wonderful. Yeah. It's, she, she is very... Uh, she is a singular creation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it very much. Very unpredictable. Very unpredictable for being mostly predictable and then really not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Lulls I agree. Here and then takes a turn left. And and with trust like yours, how can we fail? Was was her sort of negging Susan? There's a lot of negging, right? Yeah, yeah. There's also a sense of superiority coming from Hope as she is dissecting the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Almost like a, we're conceptually equal, but clearly I have the upper hand. And mm. oh, l- let me let me see what's under the hood. Let me just see what makes you tick. Yeah, and I I can afford to sound playful because. My superiority over you is unquestioned. Yeah. (laughs) That voice, by the way, the calm of Hope's voice, Mm. despite the circumstances in some cases, is really unsettling at times. Very well done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a point about the Doctor's family tree. It links back to our previous New Who review. Oh, right. Okay. uh, Death in Heaven, where the Doctor had been married four times. Yes, that's right. I found out what the fourth time was. Oh, who's the fourth? Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) Because in A Christmas Carol, Abigail and Kazran are snogging away at a Hollywood party. And Matt Smith blunders out going, Oh, well, we've got to go immediately because I've managed to get myself engaged to Marilyn. Oh, my goodness. How are you? Uh, Guys, guys, will you not stop? How are you doing that? Are you breathing through your ears? (laughs) All right, you're not going to stop. Start the car, Marilyn. Get your ring on. It's happening. And then off he goes. And apparently that happens wow Uh, ladies and gentlemen matt smith (laughs) (laughs) just gets better with age well sherlocked seriously well sherlocked (laughs) 
Okay, so wait, so that's Marilyn Monroe, Elizabeth the First. Yeah, Susan's m- grandmother. Yeah, exactly. Wait, now I've forgotten. River Song. Oh, River Song. How did I forget to River Song? It's staring oh. you in the face. So yeah, that, that, that would appear to be the fall, just to wrap that point up. Thank you. <laughs> Somewhere out there in podcast land, someone is going, oh, finally, I can sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, a heat wave. <laughs> Oh, this is a very minor thing, but can we talk about the cover art? Yes. Oh, let me let me bring it up. Okay, so to describe it for the listeners, in case you haven't seen it, although I'm sure you've all bought the CD, you have Susan's face, 1963 Susan, that is, looking yep. to the left. You have McGann, his usual promo stuff, looking to the right, mysteriously semi-translucent, all very classy and intriguing. And then in the middle, you've got Minnie McGann yep. staring straight up at the camera as if you're an adult. He's an 18-year-old in a toddler's pose with some planking forming a corner in the background? What is that? Where is this set? Yeah. The title notwithstanding, Alex is not the focal point of this story. No. He's the MacGuffin, damn it. He is. Susan is not that age anymore. No. I want to say that's not even a Doctor Who picture of Paul McGann. I don't think that's a promotional (laughs) photo. I think that's just a photo of young McGann. Okay. I mean, they just scrambled to find something where he was looking to one side. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) so to mirror Susan, right. Yeah. And he he doesn't look 17 there, does he? He looks like 12, 13. I mean, you say that, but I, I mean, I'm assuming that's a photo of... Yeah, but it's an extremely badly chosen one and staged and photoshopped. It's just it's a terrible image. I just wanted to register my displeasure. Consider it registered. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Comparing it to prior, I'm just going to go into whobackwhen.com. Uh, maybe check out the podcast. It's audio who reviews just to have a look at some some covers. Holy moly, the covers are often beautiful. Yeah. They're really well well designed, they're well photoshopped, they're well comped, yada yada yada. This is going to stand out. It also, it's a weird yellowy bleachy kind of yeah, colour d- tone to I it. I don't know if that's supposed to hark back somehow to the very early classic days, like slightly monochromatic but sickly. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I don't it's know. It's a weird choice. Do you know what it feels like to me? What? It feels like Paul McGann pulling strings. Mm-hmm. It's like, listen, yes, let's do this audiobook. They say in the post-credits interview thingy that this was written, Jake's role was written with Jake in mind. Yeah. So Paul McGann is going, all right, listen, we're doing this for my son, okay? We're doing this to give my son a career in show business. Right. Put him front and center, please. Jake McGann, 17-year-old, is not interested in Doctor Who one bit, despite or possibly because of his dad. Yeah. He may be just as good at modeling for photo shoots as he is at voice acting. And they're like, okay, we're going to take three pictures. One, look happy to see your granddad. All right, snap. Look confused because you don't know what's going on and you've just found out that you're an alien. Snap. Mm. Okay, now look angry because you're a xenophobe and you're a student revolutionary. Snap. They look at the three photos and well, these all look the same. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Pick one. (laughs) And then put it center stage, please. And then fade out all the other colors to just bring all the focus to this dude. (laughs) And in the car on the way home, Jake is like, but dad, I don't want to be a famous voice actor i want to sing (laughs) no one day all this will be yours no no that stop that right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can rely on you to get that of course what a chap (laughs) 
<laughs> that audiobook fell down, so we built another audiobook on top of it. <laughs> Shall we address the ending of this audiobook? Let's do that. Because is it not also a little disillusioning? How so? Well, I mean, we end on the Doc being this heartless sociopath. He is prepared to abandon Alex exactly as he abandoned Susan. Oh, but he's leaving Alex with his mother. Well, for a while there, he is happy to leave Alex behind and travel the universe and time and space with Susan. He even says, I'll be back. We'll be back. And for him, it will seem just like a moment. Just like for her, it seemed like, quote, just a moment 30 years before. Oh, no, no, no. He's he's got the navigational circuit sorted out. He's he's reducing the lengths of his abandonments over time. He's gradually becoming a better person. 30 years to a second, that's quite an increment. What's more likely, I think, is that they... say she accepts his proposal yeah they go off they travel the universe they have another audiobook series spin-off seven incarnations of susan oh, later yes. they come back alex doesn't recognize her he's aged 30 years she's like yeah but you know what i had a blast and he's he's <laughs> gonna be like wait you didn't even tell me about regeneration <laughs> <laughs> does it apply to me i don't know yeah <laughs> I had to marry a strawberry picker who lives in a cave. (laughs) She won me over by making me this tiny shoe. (laughs) It's a little moist, but it gets you where you need to go. It just seems really out of character for the doctor. Sorry, it seems too in character for the doctor to just go, yeah, I've learned no lessons whatsoever. Fuck that kid. We're going to leave. We're going to have fun. Yeah, he he very much is trying to do exactly the same thing he did before, but ever so slightly more forgivably. Better. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the opposite direction to my previous misdemeanors. It's like if I tweak him just a bit, I can you know I can make everybody happy in this situation. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> all our four hearts will be pumping to their maximum joy. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no, you are right. Um, and the fact that it hmm. doesn't tear Susan apart. Well, I it, I feel like it sort of does, but they want to make up for people like you who were so disappointed with Hartnell just leaving her behind. Like, this time, Susan gets to step out of the TARDIS herself. She gets to make the choice. She has a reason for staying on Earth that's better than some spud <laughs> grower that she met less than a day Why before. Why was his name not Nick? <laughs> spud, spud Nick! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was everywhere in the early 60s. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Um, Anyway. So, yeah, in all these ways, it's improved. And she gets to have the final word. Um, Rather than Hartnell getting his magnificent monologue, she gets to say, yes, grandfather, this time I believe you will be back. And he has come back once. So she can have some measure of hope. True. Yeah. So it it is better. I get that you're still bitter for Susan on her behalf. (laughs) But I I think it's done uh, more... um, more favourably to her this time around. So if Alex had not run out of the TARDIS... Yeah. I mean, sorry, actually, let me rephrase that. Do you think that Susan would have preferred Alex to want to stay with both of them and go and have an education on Gallifrey? Well, that's not staying with both of them, is it? Because they get to fuck off all around the universe. And he, she packs him off to a... Boarding, boarding school. school but, yeah. but, you know... You know Gallifrey and Time Lord University or whatever. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Mm. She just she just thinks uh, he's 
I don't trust this Holly. I think I think he'd be better off with this uh, other xenophobic entire race <laughs> rather than this xenophobic individual. That way he gets a more rounded xenophobia. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kind I like as a Time Lord. <laughs> the good kind. <laughs> Not their kind. <laughs> So, yeah, actually, hard to see how everyone can come out of that scene well. (laughs) Yeah, fair. (laughs) Shall we try to rate this? I mean, we've reached the end, so let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. This story did a lot of things well. If you needed convincing that we are now living in a dystopia, this audiobook provides it. People used to travel right around the world, didn't they? Maybe one day we will again. Stay alert for signs of alien intervention. It's horribly prescient. Thanks a lot, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I liked the twist of Hope rescuing the lunar colonists. I didn't see that coming. I thought that was clever. Yeah. I liked McGann's speech um, against Hope about, you know, jam tomorrow and candle around the corner and you're just preying on people and manipulating people. That provided McGann with an excellent McGanning moment. And Susan likewise. Her political speeches were, they weren't, they didn't really get me stirred up so much, but the writing was of a decent quality um, for large parts of this episode. However, the adventure started stronger than it finished. I was overall a bit underwhelmed, especially when the Doctor's wheeze to save the Earth was nothing worse than promising the Goldreesi some negative publicity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a bit of a letdown. Like, you know you want to uh, inaugurate this new Earth Goldreesi empire? Well, guess what? I'm going to tell everyone that that's what you're doing. Yeah, oh. one negative Yelp review. Yeah. <laughs> and that's enough. <laughs> oh, you haven't heard the last of us. Uh, actually, we have. <laughs> surely, most other wa- surely most other warrior races in the galaxy wouldn't bat an eyelid. The Sontarans, on hearing the Goldreesi gave up, for this reason would destroy them just for sacrificing their warrior code with such (laughs) pusillanimity well that's good vodka you're brewing allegedly (laughs) allegedly (laughs) McGann Senior even though he didn't know in the post-credits interview about the original Susan he added enough enthusiasm and variety to his tone to get me on board with the emotional reunion until Leon picked it to pieces and oh I'm sorry it's fine needed doing I needed educating (laughs) As a love letter to Carol Ann Ford, perhaps, this didn't do too badly. It was atmospheric and tense in places, especially helped by the brooding music, but it does peter out. They didn't need to straddle the cosmos for Susan's return. As a setup for hopefully better adventures, it works okay, but I wanted a bit more. It was good production, Hope was very creepy, Leslie Ash overall added some class. I'm going to give it a merely passable 2.4. Oh, really? Okay, yes, 2.4. Really. Okay. <laughs> what does that laugh portend? Mm. Agree? Disagree? I mean, I've written down a rating. I slightly regret it now. Okay. <laughs> You've got right. a huge heart, haven't you? Here goes. <laughs> <laughs> So the the underlying plot of this audiobook is just brilliant. Uh, Susan has matured, perhaps been slightly too distant from her heritage to be cautious in her contact with alien life forms. Plus, she was only a teenager when we when we saw her last. Um, this is the equivalent of Jodie Foster's Nell, you know, growing up without language. This is teenage Susan growing up without Gallifreyan adult influences. Uh, hope is brilliant. The xenophobia on Earth is quite frankly a spot on reflection of our current times. But yeah, wait, actually, hang on. Let's bring back back to Susan. 
Susan is, or Caroline Ford, is wonderful. And we have criticized her a little bit throughout this review, perhaps rightly so, but there is an element of nostalgia to having her back in an adventure, back in the Hooniverse. And I am so incredibly heartwarmed just to, just to hear her voice, which, by the way, since 1963 has not changed one bit. Really? Caroline Ford, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know <laughs> what your secret is or what you're putting in your water, but I want to know, please. Caroline Ford is, and the character of Susan, they're both just so lovely that I'm immediately going to bump up the score a little bit just because I'm happy to be reunited with her. Anyway, and yeah, I already we already talked about her acting. Uh, right, Paul McGann, great as always. His son, though. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, well, his son is just a kid. And though I really wish that Alex had been played by someone better suited to vo- voice acting, Jake McGann, he was only 17, as you pointed out. He wasn't yet allowed to vote, okay? And perhaps thus he falls into the de facto category of child actors, and you know exactly where I stand on that subject. Yeah. The Eighth Doctor's grandson is now as alien as the Eighth Doctor himself was when we first encountered him, though, in the TV movie. And that's really interesting to me, and I wish they had explored this further. You know, what's the inner conflict that Alex is is suddenly faced with? Maybe we'll get that. Undoubtedly, we will get that in the next one, but it seems like it's just glazed over here. But you know what? In fact, I said that the underlying plot is great, but the plot itself is a little thin. And with that in mind, should we not have focused more on the personal relationships involved here? Should we not have focused more on Alex, who is fucking center stage of the cover? Should we not have focused more on, you know, Susan? Where's the heartfelt reunion and the perfectly justifiable evisceration of the Doctor's intentions and qualities as a paterfamilias? Why has the Doctor not learned anything at the end? Why does does that <laughs> not bother his granddaughter? Why is Alex such a spoiled little c- to segue to and end on something positive though i i already said this the audiobook does a marvelous job at world building the the racism which is just i mean it's not just hinted at it is displayed it's in this audiobook it's realistic it's tangible and that maybe that is because of the you know (laughs) the farage johnson trump era that we live in but regardless it's there and i believe it the alien intelligence that shows up uh, I suddenly get this sense of scope in the universe. Yeah, yeah, someone is out there. They just, they're picking up little signals sent out by some transistor radio that for some reason can't reach the moon, Susan. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but I still, I believe it. And by the way, yes, there's a moon. We, you mentioned this in your mini, but like, we didn't talk about this. There's a freaking moon base. People have lived there for 30 years, just like recycling their feces. Like, what is going on there? And do they still work? Like, when they when they get back to Earth, what's the reaction? Have they eaten each other? Yeah, that's true. They all get sort of delivered into the presidential council chamber. None of them are speaking. None of them <laughs> has encountered gravity <laughs> or like Earth gravity in three decades. Yeah, they're going to hit the deck immediately. Some of them may have been born on the moon for all we know. Have they just been eating like Matt Dapen shit potatoes for three decades and now they're in like faced with the racism of Earth, they're just as oblivious to what's going on down here as Susan and her likes are to what's been going on on the moon. It's just, it's just mind-boggling. Anyway, whatever. 
you know what? In general, I I really like this world. I, I like seeing this world. I mean, not like this world, but I, I wonder how much of it is is as valid to people who haven't seen the classic serial or the Cushing movie. Right, rounding this off, leaving acting talent largely out of it in the hope that it improves in the next one and that I just misheard the shitty acting here. I'm giving this a 3.1. Oh, that's not so much high when you take into account the sentimentality and the reverence for Susan's return. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine with that all right we do have a listener mini it's been in the pipeline since (laughs) over a year ago (laughs) for a hell of a long time (laughs) yes (laughs) shall we have a listen to it let's listener minis now let's hear from podcast land max 250 or it would get out of hand Okay, and our listener mini is from Chris Zarella. Hell of a fella. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Chris begins, On first listening, I hated it. (laughs) But after a few re-listens for this review, I've started looking on it more favourably. I'm sorry, but I'm going political. I couldn't help but draw comparisons to my country's political debates. Trump and his supporters all hate aliens, but have also forgotten that their grandparents or great-grandparents were aliens themselves. Sorry for that slight tangent. No apology necessary. Absolutely not. Couldn't be more relevant. Chris continues, The Doctor and Susan have great chemistry and work off each other quite well. But the McGanns have none at all. (laughs) Seconded, thirded, motion carried. It's hard to tell if it is good acting to show a disconnect from each other or bad acting trying to pretend that they don't know each other. I'm disappointed by the aliens in this episode. I couldn't picture them. I felt like the visual descriptions were lacking throughout and the few cues that we got were obnoxiously loud, like the static blocking out what the pilot was saying to Susan. Despite all the things I disliked, I can't say enough how nice it was to hear the Doctor and Susan interactions. And he gives this what? 3.0. I mean, we're all in the same sort of area. Yeah, that's true. And full disclosure, I I had actually seen your rating before I even wrote mine down, so it's Just fine. Just 0.1 upmanship from Leon. <laughs> Chris ends with a question. Where do we want to go with Audio Who reviews after the end of the EDAs? Well, we've sort of answered that, potentially. Yeah. I think in addition to the Susan adventures, which I really, really do want to delve into, particularly thanks to Chesterton slash Chatterton, mm-hmm. we did also get a personal recommendation from Colin Baker himself. Oh, yes, we did. We could do a Colin Baker review. Why not start our Colin Baker experience on Who Back When with an audiobook review? Yeah, that'd be good. That would be good. I mean, we are not going to go down the route of reviewing all the Big Finish monthly adventures. What do they call it? The main... Main range? Main range, that's Mm. it. Yeah. They've released hundreds. We are not taking on those hundreds of episodes in their totality. But we can pick and choose the best ones if people want to recommend some. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good idea, actually. Yeah. Uh, So, Podcast Land tell us maybe we'll do like a we could do a poll on the website yeah slash on twitter we'll figure it out and then maybe more than chris will realize that we're doing this channel (laughs) (laughs) chris thank you so much for sending this in over a year ago yeah we love your commitment (laughs) your dedication your your devotion to these and thank you also for recommending that we review this next yeah you have changed the course of who back when history yes (laughs) it's like chaos theory (laughs) you changed the course of who back when uh, history tornado hits no i can't say that (laughs) biden beats trump hooray all thanks to you So thanks very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Who Back When? What have we got coming up next? 
Well, in the new Who channel, we have Last Christmas. And in the classic Who channel, we have City of Death. That sounds good. (laughs) It's fantastic. Wow. Douglas Adams. Hey, hey. It's really good. In the audio Who channel... Relative Dimensions. Bingo Bongo. And in the bonus Who channel... Well, that's coming up next. That is coming... Yes, you're right. That is coming up next. (gasps) Anniversary bloopers. Seven years... (laughs) Oh, nice. <laughs> Seventh anniversary. <laughs> In the meantime, people can say hello to us online. Drew, you have some sort of online presence, I'm told. Yeah, you can bid me good day at Drew Back When on Twitter. Excellent branding. Thank you. I could learn a thing or two from that. Because How's yours coming along? <laughs> well, I am still at Ponken. P-O-N-K-E-N. <laughs> Do you not just have to log into Twitter, enter the settings and say at something else? Yeah. Click OK, click I- confirm. Um, yeah, but I haven't thought of what to call myself next, and oh, I don't want to call myself something and then change it again. And... Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. No, you'd look a fool. Exactly. <laughs> As opposed to the current situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound like one. <laughs> well, thank you again, everyone, for listening. You're a lovely audience. Please stay safe. There are plenty of problems in the world right now. Uh, uh, please be careful, and uh, yeah. Thanks for being you. See you in the next one. Rock on and cha-chao. Bye-bye. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. Who back when?